0: We've been looking at a series called The Other Side of Normal. In other words, when Jesus came and said, I've got a kingdom, I want you to be part of it, it's radically different, it's not normal compared to this world. It's extreme. It's radically different. The problem is that we live in this world and too many of us in too many ways have been conformed to the pattern of this world instead of living in the kingdom of God. The Bible says be in the world, physically present in this world, but not of the world. And that's a tough scenario. It really is. Every day, in every situation that you and I are in, we've got to work out, am I living for the kingdom or am I in the world? Am I materialistic or am I not materialistic? Am I valuing the right things or am I not valuing the right things? And today I want to look at that topic, and I want to go back just a little bit before Jesus came to a guy called John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the king's herald. That was his job, to come to Israel, to get the people ready for the king, and that's a pretty traditional thing. If you have a king come to your village, before the king arrives, a herald will come into town, ring a bell, whatever he does, hear ye, hear ye, the king's coming, get ready, and, he, and the whole idea was to get the town ready for the king. Make sure the king didn't trip over in a pothole or whatever. You wanted the king's presence in your town to be celebrated. And John the Baptist was God's, Jesus's herald. And yet he's this weird, eccentric, enigmatic character dressed in camel's hair, living in the wilderness, eating, you know, weird sorts of food. And he's God's herald. Go figure. Why would God use him? Not only was he weird as a person, he had a weird message. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus is coming. So make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now you cannot have full valleys. And you cannot have flat mountains or straight curves or level bumps. So the message of John the Baptist, even to start with, was confusing. It was actually upside down, back the front, inside out. And it was a foreshadowing of the kingdom of God and the King of kings and Lord of lords because what he was going to do was turn everything upside down. Radically turn everything upside down. And he came with this strange message and people were trying to get a grip of what he was actually saying, but he was the precursor to Jesus. He was the forerunner to Jesus and he was trying to get people ready so that when Jesus said, you need to change your mind, you need to change the way that you think, people would already be ready to make the shift. He'd already started the process. And it was a radical shaker, religiously, politically, socially, Everything that Jesus came to do was going to run against the grain of the established order of the world that he stepped into. He was going to smash sacred cows. He was going to stir the Pharisees up and the religious people of the time and say, you've got it wrong. And he was going to come against the grain of the social status and the social, social orders of the day. And he was going to hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and lepers. They were going to be his friends, and it was this radical upside-down, inside-out, back-the-front kingdom. It was a, tra- a radical transformation. But everything in the kingdom of God is a paradox. It's the wrong way around if you compare it to the kingdom of this world. Whatever the kingdom of this world says is important, the kingdom of God says it's not important. Whatever the kingdom of God says is highly valued and prized, the kingdom of this world says that's not important. It's back to front. That's wrong thinking. So today I want to think you to think about the kingdom of God is inverted. Everything is upside down. Little insignificant, poor people in the kingdom of this world are nobodies. Poor, insignificant, weak people in the kingdom of God are the most important. And so we need to realise that what Jesus called us to do as a people is to think radically differently, to act radically differently. My concern is when I look at the church and I look at my life and I'm including myself, I am too conformed to the pattern of this world. I have mixed up the kingdom of God and the the kingdom of this world and when it suits me, I live the kingdom of this world and when it suits me, I live the kingdom of God. But the message of Jesus was very clear and very precise. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot be in one kingdom and another kingdom. You've got to either live the kingdom or walk away. Don't try and do it half-heartedly. And that's the challenge for us, to live our lives in this culture with all its values, its materialism, all its scale of who's important, what's valuable, and then live totally different to that. With all the pressure that's put on us to you know, think about our image and how good we look and how many cars we've got and what our homes look like, that's the kingdom of this world. And yet when God looks at us, he doesn't go, I don't care how many houses you own. I don't care what position you hold in the church. They're not the standards by which God measures success. And so we've got to be really careful that we don't let our minds get polluted. We don't let subtle little things creep in which suddenly become a stronghold in the way that we move and that we operate. So if you think about before even Jesus was even born, the whole story of Jesus' birth is upside down, back to front and inside out. The people that God chose to be the parents of John the Baptist was a barren lady who was in her 80s who in that culture was totally stigmatised. When you think about Mary, she was a 13-year-old girl who was accused of having a relationship out of wedlock. Poor old Joseph, who was he? Just a nobody? Insignificant carpenter? Not a very, you know, the type of guy you would like to have as the father of Jesus and, and the whole thing is just this contradiction a bunch of misfits and what we very quickly realize is, is that Christmas story as the leading to the ministry of Jesus is getting us ready so that we can see that everything that Jesus is going to do what he stands for what he's going to teach the way he ministers the way he loves on people is radical it's extremist it is extremist. This week, there was a show in Melbourne called Come and Heckle Jesus. Anybody hear about that? It was a show at a festival where there was a guy up the front who was dressed like Jesus and you were invited to come along and yell insults at him, whatever you wanted to. I was watching... uh, the Channel 10 new program, and Ida Buttrose was on there, and she was like, well, that's fine because that's free speech and we should let anybody say whatever they want. You know, this is a free country. One of the other guys said, yeah, but if that had been Mohammed, that would have been World War Three in Melbourne. Why does Jesus get the raw deal? He said the people that, and this is the thing, you're not even a Christian guy, I don't think, the people that understand who Jesus is, should get really upset at that sort of stuff. And I thought, "Wow, I wonder how many people got radical enough to complain, radical enough to stand up for their faith. Well, my point is, when we think about the kingdom of God, and you can't see that, it is upside down. We should be living upside down. Everything about us in the eyes of the world should be strange and weird. When people look at the way we live our life, the decisions that we make, our behaviour, something should be confronting to them should be confusing for them to understand because we're not operating by the same system. Our system is the kingdom of God and his values and his virtues and his morals and so we've got to get back to living upside down to being on the other side of normal but it's actually the right side up. It's the right way to live. If you think about it In the kingdom of God, law is replaced by grace. Violence is replaced by love. Hatred replaced with forgiveness. Greed replaced with generosity. I don't have to perform anymore because I'm under the unmerited favour of God. My position is replaced with my posture. Curses are replaced with blessing. Exclusiveness. Oh, you can only be part of the church if you are rich and famous becomes inclusiveness. Everybody's welcome. doesn't matter who you are, black, white, rich, poor. Everything's upside down. When I know emptiness, I am suddenly full of God. When I know death to myself, then I experience real life. When I know how weak I am, then I'm strong. When I trust like a child, then I'm mature. When I'm bound to God, then I know true freedom. When I'm broken, I actually know restoration. When I can't carry on, when I'm exhausted and at the end of my tether, God picks me up and carries me. When I see who I really am, then God reveals who I really am and who he really is. When I'm in darkness, I find light. When I am decreased, God is increased. When I give up, he takes over. When I know rest, I'm actually working. When I realize how poor I am, I'm actually rich. Everything's upside down and back to front. When I'm misunderstood, I understand God more. When I'm rejected, I'm actually accepted. And when I'm tested, God becomes my testimony. And when I see how wrong I am, I discover how right God is. When I know that I'm lost, I'm actually found. When I lose my mind, I gain the mind of Christ. When I consider myself last, I'm really first. When I have nothing he becomes everything. And when I can do nothing, I can see that God can do everything. Do you see the pattern? It's all upside down. It's all mixed up. It's all back to front, inside out, turned upside down purposefully because that's the value of the kingdom of God. And so if we've truly understood those values, then the outworking of the, that conversion of thinking is that our lives will be inverted and we will live very differently. I think that's the struggle of the Western culture, that slowly over time we've begun to justify, we've begun to say it's okay, we've begun to let things creep in that are actually worldly standards and suddenly they've become church standards, Christian standards and we've got to get serious about tearing those things down. The Bible says do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. The the hard part is, is not everything in the world is bad. So it's the discernment to know, when am I crossing the line between what God says is his way and what the world says is their way? And when there's a clash, we should be able to discern, no, that's the point of separation. I don't live that way. And Jesus went to a lot of trouble when he was teaching people. He'd say, you've heard it said. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, so he was taking the world's stand and he was going, no, in the kingdom of God, that's the other way around. There's a substitute. There's an alternate subculture that we should be living. And if we're living that in our workplaces, we won't be popular. If we're living that, we will be on the outside, ostracized, misunderstood, persecuted because of what standards we're actually living by, are going to run against the grain of this Australian culture. They have to because they're not the same. They're very different values and we've got to get back to that. I want you to think about this. Like when Jesus said, do you want to be a leader? We all want to be a leader, right? We want to be on top of the ladder. He said, we'll get down the bottom of the ladder, be a servant. Radically upside down. If you think about the world, the people that are most popular, the people that get all the attention, the people that are rich and famous, they're the ones that we put on the top of the ladder because of their success, because of what they've achieved, because of their money, because of their position. And, and, and Jesus came along and said, what a load of baloney. In my kingdom, it's the other way around. That's why I chose Mary. That's why I chose Joseph. That's why I'm looking for the humble. And that's why I oppose the proud, because in my kingdom, servanthood is the key. And to be a leader, you have to be a servant. And Jesus incredibly demonstrated that by using a bowl to wash his disciples' feet. And they're all standing there going, because their mindset hadn't quite changed yet, you're not washing my feet. No way, mate. I'm not having any part of that. And Jesus said, well, you don't understand my kingdom. Because you need to be a servant. You need to be prepared to get down to the bottom of the ladder. Do you have have little things in your life that are big things to you? Like, um, you know, someone might, um, you know, not like nuclear power. And so if you bring the subject up, they suddenly get, you know, excited and passionate about nuclear. Oh, we should be going green, you know. Well, my passion and my little bugbear is when we give people in the church titles, like senior pastor, like I'm better than you because I'm the senior pastor, executive pastor. (laughs) Do you see how we have taken a worldly concept, we've put it in the church And we're promulgating, we're we're perpetuating by just communicating that title. I've already communicated to you that I'm better than you. In fact, I think I'm better than you because I'm willing to wear the title. And if you're going to demonstrate that from the top down, there is no top, but if you know what I'm saying, like if if the leadership of the church is going to wear a title like that and say, yes, I'm the senior pastor, it's arrogance. It is so anti the the model of God like Jesus didn't come around and say oh let me learn my name tag king of kings lord of lords (laughs) you know creator and lord of all let me remind you do you see what we've done like it's just a little thing it's not that important but it's what what it communicates through the life of a church you think about it you go to visit a church right and the and the pastor spends enough time to come and meet you at the door or whatever you think he's fantastic what difference does it make whether you meet him or the guy who does the sound desk not that Brad's any less than anybody else but that's exactly my point how do we get back to a flat line where we might have different functions in the church but but I'm no better than you like God doesn't look at me and go, well, well done, Mark, you're so much better than everybody else. That's just the wrong thinking, but it's, it's infiltrated the church, it's permeated the church, and it's poisoning the church. It really is. It's just a little thing, but, but it says so much of the mindset that we've got into that we've let the world come in. So we, we've got to get back to this idea of not comparing ourselves to others. It's a dead-end road. Like, I could, I could sit here this morning and say, I'm so depressed because, because Dave has such a nice house and he lives on acreage and he's got a pool and he's got a shed and he owns a business. And if I put myself in the position of comparing myself to him, what, what do we create in the church? We, we create this hierarchy of who does and who doesn't and who has and who hasn't. And in the end, we just, we've lost the kingdom of God. We really have lost the heart of what Jesus came to bring to us. When we live in obedience to God, it doesn't matter how big our platform is. We will be content to change the world one person at a time. So Jesus always reframed success in the terms of servanthood. If you're a servant in a third world country, you've got a stigma about you. You're the lowest person in on the social rung. But in God's economy, if you're a servant, you're actually on the top. And so we've got to get back to thinking like that. Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first must be a willing slave of all Like the Son of Man, Jesus, who did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the greatest among you will be your servant. So in the kingdom of God, low is high. It's upside down. It's back to front. It's inverted. So God deliberately chose what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame and what the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. So God takes the least likely, the unexpected, what the world says is weak and powerless and without anything to offer, and God says, no, your thinking is wrong. Turn it around. I will use the little that those people have and prove to you. And God also deliberately chose what in the world is lowborn and insignificant and branded and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing that he might depose and bring to nothing the things that are. It's all back-the-front language. It's all like a paradox. It's all inside out and back-the-front. When I'm weak, God's strong. When I'm poor, I'm actually rich. And we've got to get back to thinking kingdom-wise. Think about this. Jesus comes along and he says, Well, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Like, get even. That's what that stands for. Someone does you wrong, get them back. In fact, get them back better. That's the world's way, isn't it? Someone cuts you off on the freeway, we'll just force them over to the side of the road, get your spare tire lever out and give them a whack around the head. It's fair enough, he cut me off. Isn't that what the world says is okay? You know, if someone wrongs you, wrong them back. Get even, boy. Jesus said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, we'll hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, then be willing to go two. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Do you get what Jesus is suddenly coming against the grain of everything that everybody has ever thought was right? He's going, my kingdom's different. The values are different. The priorities are different. The way that you think in any given situation should be radically different to the way that the world thinks. You've heard it said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. It's not an easy thing to do, is it? To get those words out of your mouth. Father, would you bless so and so for... Think about it. If your heart has been converted, if your mindset has been converted, changed, altered to the kingdom thinking of God, then what gets squeezed out of you in those situations will be kingdom values, kingdom responses, a kingdom heart, a kingdom attitude. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's necessary if we're really going to live the kingdom of God. So forgiveness lies at the very heart Of God's kingdom people are going to offend us we're going to offend people mistakes are going to happen things are going to get misunderstood we're going to get hurt that's life you don't get to go through life without conflict without you know having trouble in relationship that's life but our response as a people should immediately be forgiveness And Peter comes along in all his wisdom and says, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone? If I do it seven times, I think I'm doing pretty well, don't you? And Jesus says, Peter, Peter, you just don't quite get it, mate. 70 times seven, not that it's 490 times and then you go, oh, I'm up to the 491st time, beauty. I don't have to forgive anymore. It's the principle. The principle is just keep forgiving, no matter what they do to you keep forgiving that is so anti our culture it is so anti the priority of this world and yet that's what god is calling us to to forgive and to forgive again and keep on forgiving no matter what happens god has forgiven us therefore we must forgive others it's it's illogical to say i appreciate and i know that god has forgiven me so much and yet i'm not for- willing to forgive that person it just doesn't make sense. If you understand the kingdom, there shouldn't be anyone that you have grudges against, bitterness towards, animosity, resentment. I want to be really honest with you. I sat down this week to do the, the allocation of people into home groups. And I had people in this church say, I don't want to be in that, ch- in that group with that person. And if that person's in my group, then I don't want to be in it. We have lost the plot. I'm dead serious. Today, if there's someone in this church or this church family that you cannot be in a group with, fix it. It's offensive to me and it's offensive to God. And I don't want to be part of a church where we have to have this segregation. I don't mean you have to be their best friends. I don't mean you have to have them over for dinner every night, but there's something wrong. According to the principles of God and the kingdom of God, if we've got division like that, does that make sense? Why are we any different to the world if that's the scenario we've got? We've got to get beyond that. Am I saying that's easy? No. Am I saying some of us will have to humble ourselves? Yes. Will you get forgiveness? I don't know. That's not the point. But you be the instigator. You be the catalyst. You be the one that makes sure that if you know that there's some problem, some division, some, something that needs to be reconciled, just do it before God. You will be the blessed one. You will be the benefactor of doing what needs to be done. And, and I think we've, we've allowed our culture We've allowed our church culture to be about, well, if it gets uncomfortable and things get a bit messy, we'll just go to another church. And then the next pastor goes, I want a big church, so I'm happy if they come. Let them in. That'd be good because we're all about numbers. We want to know how many people are coming through the door. When did God ever get to the point of measuring numbers as a measure of success? Yet, what are we hearing from all our church leaders? Bigger's better. Bigger is not necessarily wrong, but if that's your measure of success, if that's how you're going to measure whether God is happy with you or not, you've missed the point. Because God might send you to Africa to be a, 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 an evangelist, to a little village where you might serve for 15, 20 years and not see any fruit. Are you a failure? The obedience in the simple things in the kingdom of God is probably much more important than anything else. So when you think about this topic, it's really confronting because it's, it's really getting down to the day-to-day, am I any different, really? Am I really any different? When I th- get into situations, do I actually respond differently or am I just really just worldly? It's a tough subject. To become rich in the kingdom of God, Give everything away. That makes no sense in this culture. That makes no sense at all. Because everybody's about get, get more. Because if you've got more, you're better than everybody else and you've proved yourself. It's just anti-God. It's anti the kingdom of God. Not that material things are wrong, but it's what they do to our heart. If we're not careful, we get greedy and then we get covetous and we want more. And then we get competitive because I want what he's got and we're not at peace anymore. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you live the right, righteous way, there's peace and out of peace flows joy. because you're not on a performance treadmill anymore. If you live in a shack in Fiji or a mansion in Australia, God's not interested in where you live. He's not interested in how much money is in the bank, not interested in what you look like, whether you're trendy. That's not the measuring scale. God looks at the heart. And you can be the richest man on earth but have a heart after God. It's not the money. The money is the root of all evil. It's not the money in itself. It's your attitude to it. An attitude's a heart thing. So God says, I don't judge the outward appearance. I don't care what you come to church looking like. What I judge is what's going on in here. You know, when I squeeze you in life, what's going to ooze out? Is there going to be forgiveness? Is there going to be hatred? Is there going to be love or is there going to be, you know, criticism? Like That's, that's really what we're talking about. If the kingdom of God is that radical and what it brings to us is a radical life change, then we should be able to say, yeah, I'm... I'm on that road. I'm moving. So it's not material things necessarily that rob us, but they do hinder us. They do slow us down. They do trip us up. They do entangle us in the values of this world, and we just need to be careful. Just careful. So Jesus, he was very outspoken, not so much about money, but about greed about when you couldn't separate yourself from the money and serve God. And when, you know, God asked you to do something, but the money became more important than obedience. That's where Jesus was on about. He wasn't saying it's wrong to be a rich person. He just said it's harder for a rich person because the wealth in itself will trip you up. Any of you that have been to a third world country and met Christian people and sat in their little little village or in their little hut and you've talked about life and, what life means and what God means in your life. And you go, you're sitting there going, I don't live in a house like this and I've got carpet and I've got television and I've got chairs and I've got this and I've got that. And here we are sitting on a little grass mat and they're happier than I am. I'm miserable. (laughs) I've got all this stuff that's supposed to make my life complete and, 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 and yet it doesn't. And I think that's what Jesus was saying. Don't get caught up on the treadmill of thinking that materialism is going to make you happy because it won't. Come back to a kingdom mindset, a kingdom mentality, which is don't seek for yourself treasures on earth. Don't. It's a do not. It's not if you want to. It's don't. Do it. Because Jesus knew that it would... It would rob us of having an eternal perspective. It would rob us of living our lives now for the kingdom of God. We wouldn't have the same time. We wouldn't have the same passion. We'd be hamstrung by the things that we own. If then you have died with Christ to material ways of looking at things and have escaped from the world's crude and elemental notions and teaching of externalism, Why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to its rules and regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? That is such a difficult passage to translate into modern living in Australia, isn't it? Like, How do you not handle, taste or touch when you live in the culture, but you're not supposed to be of the culture? That's the challenge for us. How do we stay kingdom minded, how do we respond as a kingdom person in a world that is in opposition to the values that we have, that's the challenge we've got, image, materialism, identity, when those things become the values and the measures by which we're going to say I'm doing well, uh-uh. no, Sorry to say, the church is becoming far too much about image. Far too much about image. It's not, the onus is not on you, it's not your responsibility, it's on leaders. The men and women that God have called to lead need to lead as servants. There's nothing wrong with esteeming leaders and thanking them for the work they do and the effort. But when we elevate people, there's only one person worthy of worship. And that's Jesus. And true servanthood is not about the title that you carry. It's about humble, how humble you are. Image. Image is becoming such a such a thing in our culture. Our young people are so bound up in what they wear and what they look at. We've got kids committing suicide because they don't fit in. We've got kids coming apart at the scene because they don't look the right way. They're overweight or they are got, you know, freckles or they've got, you know, acne or whatever, and suddenly in the value system of the world, they don't fit. And they're not valued anymore. They're ostracized or they're not in the in group. And and the kingdom of God is so radically different to that. It doesn't matter who walks through the door or what they look like. I think I've told you before the story of the pastor in the States that was about to take over as a senior pastor in a, in a congregation in the States and the three weeks leading up to him taking on the role before his induction, like his presentation to the church, he turned up as a hobo and he purposely made sure his trousers smelt like urine and he put vodka all over his shirt and, you know, was got himself all made up and looked really dishevelled and and uh, yeah, he went to the church for three weeks and so, the, you know, the Sunday comes and He's there in his suit or whatever he was, and no one recognised him, of course. And, you know, he starts off with sermon about, you know, what would you do if a, a hobo came in the church today, you know, a street person? What would you do? Would you respond to them in love? Everyone's like, oh, yes, we would. He's like, right, you. I was here for three weeks, and you didn't come anywhere near me. In fact, you moved seat, and you, you walked away from me, and yet he just gave him a rocket. <laughs> Great way to start your church ministry, lose half your church in the first week. But his point was, we're just playing a game. If those values haven't permeated our heart, if we're really not the people of God, so what does God need to invert in our lives today? What does he want to change? What does he want to grew upside down what does he want your mind to think differently about because that's what this is all about at the end it's about the way our minds the bible says be transformed by the renewing of your mind so the only way to think differently is if your mind processes the values differently that has to be a spirit of god thing It has to be God that changes that thinking and that value system. So there will be people here today that have a very low self-esteem. Because when you look in the mirror, you might go, I'm overweight or I'm this or I'm that, and you've got this this system in your mind that that equals lack of worth. That's not a kingdom thing. Because in the kingdom of God, there's no little people. There's no insignificant people. In God's kingdom, you're all precious and very important. And what you look like in this skin doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Mark, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Because when I was a teenager, I was about this fat. <laughs> That's both legs together. I was so skinny. And it's a curse when you're amongst a group of people that want buffed men. Men. Because real men have big bodies, don't they? And big muscles. Well, I didn't. I didn't. I was a scrawny, weedy little kid. And to get acceptance, I did all sorts of stupid things to prove my value. It wasn't until the King of Kings broke into my life and said, Mark, you have inherent value, but it comes from your heart. Not what skin you're in not what size pants you wear, not what brand label you're wearing. Don't you think that's freeing, incredibly freeing for a world that's on this treadmill of performance and have to and need to and and, and if we could just say to people, you are so precious just the way you are. Isn't that how that God accepts us? So why have we turned Christianity into something so radically painful for us when it's so beautiful? In its raw essence, what does God need to invert in your life today? I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. This is a hard subject. And it's a hard subject because the subtlety in which we get caught up in the world it, it by essence, the word subtle means just incremental, very slowly. We, we just slowly get into the wrong thinking or the wrong place. And then we need a revelation to realize I'm stuck there. or I've got over here when I should be over here. And, and just preaching a message like this won't necessarily do anything unless God brings revelation. Unless God says, you know, you know that material stuff you've got, you've got to attach to it. You know that person in your life that you've got so much bitterness towards? You need to forgive them. These are just some of the kingdom principles. They're not all of them. There's so many of them. That's why Jesus taught so many parables and so many stories, because for him to be able to communicate the kingdom, he just had to keep peppering away so people would get it. And he used simple stories and simple parables because it is simple, but it's radically different. And it's in that difference that people don't quite get it. Is that really true? You've got to love everybody. Yes, it is. And so we've got to come to that place. Why don't we pray? I want to give you a moment this morning just to let the Lord speak to you. Quite sure how do you you respond to a message like this because it takes a bit of time to work it through. Because it's not just a decision that we make here and now, we've got to work it out in our lives. It's a decision we face every day. When we head into school, our young people need to go in with a kingdom mindset. When we do family, we've got to do it with a kingdom mindset. When we do work. We've got to do it with a kingdom mindset and a kingdom heart. And there should be something radically different about us. I don't think that we should necessarily be popular because the stand that we're taking is to live God's way. And if it's countercultural, if it's running against the grain of this world, then it's going to be offensive to people. It's going to challenge them. And if we're going to be a truly kingdom of God people, then there's a lot of sacred cows that we're probably going to have to smash. And Jesus did that, didn't he? Healed people on the Sabbath? We can't do that. You've misunderstood the kingdom. So Father, I want to pray today that in each of our lives, each of our hearts, Lord, each of our minds, that you might just give us something that we can do business with you today, Lord. Something that we might need to take action something that we may need to lay down or there might be something we need to pick up like a new attitude something that we need to shift lord i want to pray today we we just don't want to talk kingdom don't want to just have all sorts of information and knowledge and lord we want to be practitioners, we want to be people that get this stuff right in our lives. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. And I know to follow that road is a tough one, and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, and I'm going to get off track many times. But I always want to be a man who keeps asking the questions, Lord, where am I? And where do you want me to be? Lord, how much of the world has got in? And how do I get it out of me? Lord, how do I root out the wrong thinking? How do I root out the wrong attitudes? How do I have the mind of Christ so that, Lord, I, I want to be like you? Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would speak. that you would illuminate hearts and minds, that you would bring revelation, that you would bring the transformation that only you can. And that, Father, whether that's just a little thing that needs to be worked on or whether that's a huge decision to get out of the world and come back into the kingdom of God, Lord, I just pray that we would have the courage today, Lord, to respond to you. Lord, I love that story about David and when you came and you looked at all his sons and you rejected them all and David wasn't even invited because they didn't think he was of any value. Yet he was your man. He was insignificant. Not to you, though. And Lord, we've got to rediscover this kingdom mentality. We've got to rediscover kingdom values we've got to rediscover walking in the righteousness of God because then the peace and the joy will come and we've got a world that needs peace and a world that needs joy so Lord as we respond this morning and pray that that response would be very significant and very sincere and very real in people's lives, Lord, that whatever's transacted here today would be outworked in the days and the weeks and the years ahead, that, Father, as we come in humility and come in resignation to the need that we have for more of you and less of us, the need that we have to be desperately sold out to you, that, Father, you won't disappoint us. You've never failed before and you won't fail again today. So, Lord, I pray, move your sovereign hand Cross our lives. Bring to each and every one right now, Lord, something of the revelation that you want them to have. Lord, we want to be a people of breakthrough. We want to see lives changed.